0: Welcome to the eighth episode of PD Exchange, the peritoneal dialysis podcast, where we discuss the latest and the best of peritoneal dialysis literature. I'm your host, Dr. Nikhil Shah, a nephrologist at the University of Alberta, Edmonton, Canada. And with me is my co-host, Dr. Jeff Pearl, a nephrologist at St. Michael's Hospital, University of Toronto, Canada. Dr. Pearl is also the editor-in-chief of the journal Peritoneal Dialysis International. Jeff and I would like to thank all our listeners for supporting this novel initiative and providing feedback. For a podcast on a niche subject, we are happy to share with our listeners that we have more than a thousand plays now and were recently informed by FeedPost that we made it to the top 10 dialysis podcasts on the internet. You are in for a treat today as our guests are none other than Dr. Edwina Brown and Dr. Ji Cho. Uh, along with Dr. Melissa Cheatham, who will be joining us shortly. Dr. Brown, as most of our listeners possibly know, is a consultant nephrologist at the Imperial College Renal Center and the Hammersmith Hospital in London, UK. And her clinical interests are peritoneal dialysis and dialysis care of the elderly. And she is also the current ISPD president. Dr. Cho is a consultant nephrologist at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, Australia. She is a PD researcher and a clinical trialist, and the current deputy editor-in-chief of PD International. And Dr. Cheetham is a nephrologist at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital in Australia,
1: and she is a clinical researcher with an interest in home-based dialysis. Thanks, Nikhil. And uh, on behalf of all of our listeners uh, and myself, I want to thank you for all the hard work you're putting into the podcast and I hope that all of you are enjoying it on your commutes to work and uh, hope that it's helping make PDI a more relevant journal. So uh, just to uh, square things out here, I don't know if you guys remember last time we talked about the guidelines on exit site and catheter-related infections, and and by fluke, had an all-male podcast. So this week, uh, we have an all-female series of participants today. So I hope that we've rounded things from that perspective. And the topic today is a real hot-button topic. It's really hard to go anywhere um, in the peritoneal dialysis community to a meeting uh, or to a series of lectures or to open a journal and not hear uh, some mention or discussion about incremental peritoneal dialysis. And maybe Edwina, I'll ask you, why do you think incremental dialysis has sort of taken off as of recently? What do you think some of the um, factors that are responsible for us talking about it so much these days and, and the renewed interest in it?
2: I think it's because we're lowering the burden for the patient, um, the person doing dialysis. It's it's a break from standard factory delivered dialysis that you tend to get in hemodialysis units and and when I give talks on the topic I call it incremental or personalized PD it's a way of adapting the prescription to the needs of the individual you know when I talk to audiences and say well I give days off as one of the ways of doing incremental PD when I started doing this there used to be gasps and and then I would say well hands up those of you who want to work seven days a week nobody put their hands up so i said well if you don't want to work seven days a week why are we making our patients do their pd seven days a week so i think we're making it a more attractive treatment and there's absolutely no doubt that we're getting more people starting on pd when they realize it's not such a big burden um, as as they thought it was going to be
1: yeah. And and what about, what do you think about, um, do you think that the relaxation or de-emphasis of small solute targets has also played a role that we don't have to, uh, you know, particularly dialyze to a specific KT over V urea or target that's also allowed us to be more flexible in our approach to initial prescription?
2: Yeah, well, you, you, yes and no. I mean, we, we started doing incremental PD several years ago, really, um, long before the the new ISPD um, clinical prescribing recommendations. It was partly led by the nurses who said, why why don't we do it? Uh, Because they had noticed that many of our patients actually were doing incremental PD without us knowing it. In other words, they skipped days, they skipped exchanges. um, and, and And this is a way of actually giving people permission to do what they were doing anyway, um, so so now people actually ask us if they want an extra day off. I always say yes, um, and, unless they're really completely aneuric uh, and, and overloaded.
1: And and chi I just wanted to uh, highlight that a lot of the the research now um, in this uh, issue of PDI, we have two really interesting studies, uh, both from down under, from uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand. One which was a secondary analysis of the balance trial um, and the other one using ANS data registry. Maybe you can help us just uh, very briefly, just go over what the, fi- the, study, uh, the studies were intended to do and what the findings were uh, with regards to incremental PD.
3: As Edwina mentioned, there has been an increasing interest and desire to um, implement incremental PD there's always been, there's also been at the same time some reluctance and fear about what that means in terms of patient safety and outcome because it is a somewhat unknown entity in countries like in Australia. So we have sort of decided to look at our data to examine how to best inform. And these are the two studies that were done quite differently trying to answer that question. First of all, it was the study that was the secondary analysis of the balanced trial. Many of the audience may be familiar with this trial, which was published more than a decade ago. Which was a randomized control trial of incident peritoneal dialysis patients, examining the utility of biocompatible solutions defined as neutral pH, low GDP, against conventional PD solutions in examining residual kidney function as a primary outcome. So obviously, this was not a study examining incremental versus full dose. So we decided to look at this from that angle. Um, um, In fact, an idea was suggested by a key PD researcher in the field. So looking at it, we divide into two groups, and as you can imagine, the patients who were allocated to incremental were significantly lower at 45 and a full dose of 109. So patients who were prescribed with lower-dose PD were chosen by lower-dose by their PD clinicians for one reason or the other, and we looked at their residual kidney function at baseline up to 24 months in follow-up period. And what we noticed was unsurprisingly that their residual kidney function was slightly higher in incremental group, which showed a similar level of slope of decline in residual kidney function over time uh, compared to the full dose. So in the end, what we noticed was that the mean residual kidney function defined by the arithmetic mean of urinary clearance of creatinine and urea were higher in the incremental group nominally. However, the slope of decline was similar between the two groups over the 24 month period. Obviously, this is not a study that was randomized to examine this very much in question, but what we were able to ascertain was that the trend in residual kidney function did not seem to differ between the two groups. Then we decide to look at the data at a registry level to see what the uptake or the penetration of incremental PD is like in the region by you know, extracting the data from the ANSIDA registry led by Dr. Melissa Cheatham. This was a study expanding over 10 years a period in ANSIDA registry. And what we've been able to identify is a prescription of lower dose PD defined as less than 42 liters of PD fluid per week was about 2.7% among patients who are newly starting peritoneal dialysis as their first journey of kidney replacement therapy. Over 10 years or so there was been a significant increase in uptake of this to 11.1% by 2017. Mind you, ANZAR Registry is quite limited in the sense that we only collect data annually at the end of each calendar year, which means that we don't have understanding of what patients initially started with their journey. We only know at the 31st of December December of each year's prescribing. But whilst understanding that limitation, there's definitely been a trend of increase, which seems to predate the high prescribing quality guideline that was released by the ISPD. So there's no denying that, as Edwina pointed out, that there is a desire to prescribe this more. What was notable, however, was that more than 67% of the patients actually were receiving this lower dose PD for more than one year. Everybody sort of transitioned to full dose by the time the one year mark was reached. As to what triggered that is a bit uncertain. And there appeared to be some Differences in prescribing pattern. So it wasn't something that was uniformly taken up by every unit, but it was more prevalent in certain units than others. And there appeared to be some differences with regards to demographic characteristics of people who are more likely to be prescribed incremental versus not. For example, patients of the First Nations and those of the middle age group who are likely to be working, even though you think that those people might be more likely to be doing incremental, they were actually less likely to be the users of the uptake which may relate to the patient bias or which may be related to prescriber bias it is a bit uncertain at the end of the day registry data as you know is hypothesis generating and it does not denote de- de- I mean, it does not result in a definitive evidence but what we are able to appreciate is that there is a pattern of difference in how we are approaching incremental PD and certainly there needs to be some more evidence to help us inform and reassure so we can you know we can make evidence-informed shared decision-making with our patients?
1: I think that those studies are, you know, obviously there's limitations with observational data. Uh, There's certainly confounding by indication. Perhaps the patients that were more likely to use a lower dose dialysis were of a different body size or perhaps had different levels of residual kidney function. And I know that um, you guys as robustly as possible adjusted uh, as best you could. Um, and so I think that these studies, from my perspective, really really give a green light as to the safety. You know, there may be some benefits from clinical, uh, but there but certainly weren't any observable harms with incremental PD. And I think for those of you who are sort of scared of, of uh, under dialyzing patients, looks like in the first year, the prescriptions could be maintained. Um, and of course, residual kidney function is really important. And of course, I just want your thoughts, Yongji. I mean, the definitions of incremental in this study Probably if we were going to look at this prospectively, uh, probably wouldn't be the ones we would particularly use. And I totally understand, you know, the limitations of looking at an observational data set and trying to de- develop a definition. What do you think about how we should be thinking about um, incremental PD if, we, if we're going to study it further in terms of what we should be thinking about the definition of it should be? And then there's no standard definition, but this is just getting your feedback on it.
3: I think it depends on... Um where you're prescribing from, I think that does have a big impact because there is no denying that how much PD we prescribe can be very varying. For example, in Asian countries where people are of smaller body habitus, it is not infrequent that people are considered on full therapy despite being on three exchanges of CAPD a day, for example. In countries like in Australia, we would consider the full dose to be four exchanges of CAPD and for APD to be with no dry abdomen and having 24-7 PD. So currently, the standard definition of incremental will be anything less than that, okay? But I guess if you are to do a further study to examine incremental PD, in reality, I think that it would would need to be a less in terms of starting point and gradually up titrating. And it's interesting that you mentioned this because I've just held a consumer workshop last week to try to better understand what patients feel as to what they are what they value more. Is it less exchange numbers? Is it less in volume? Is it about having a day off a week or maybe more? And I'm just waiting, I've provided them with the data and we are having a follow-up meeting to further discuss this because um, there has been some discussion and preference that perhaps for some people, it's a day off. That's most important. Others, it may be different. To me, it would depend on what my life needs are. And what I what would make my life easier um, in many shapes. And then what suits one person might not suit all.
1: I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I think incremental PD is really something that we have to contextualize in the context of what is being prescribed in that particular region, because as you said, volumes are different. And also what we how we start should really, I think to Adwina's point, be a personalized decision. And we really there's different ways to start a prescription. We have to think about what might maximize the patient's experience of PD and transition to PD, and be flexible in terms of our definition of incremental PD. And I just want to point out that in the same issue, uh, we're really lucky that Corinne uh, Manera and uh, Robert Carlson, who's a patient, uh, put together an, an editorial uh, called Incremental PD. I'm lucky to only be doing two exchanges. And I encourage you all to read that because it really gives the patient perspective. And Edwina, just some, some comments for you about definitions of incremental PD and and how you look at it.
2: Well, I, I think, think it's anything less than um, full dose. And what we start people on will depend slightly on residual kidney function, slightly on their volume status, on their age, symptoms, and also their anxiety about starting dialysis. So for example, I I, I had a patient in the clinic just today who is exceedingly anxious about starting dialysis Um, and his GFR is is going down because he keeps canceling his PD catheter insertion dates um, and he's now got a GFR of five. But I've told him that we would start him on just two exchanges. Um, on an assisted CAPD programme and let him realise what dialysis is all about and then gradually, you know, so even two exchanges will keep him safe um, and, and then just gradually introduce the idea that he needs to do a third exchange and train him how to do it himself. His goal is to get back to Jamaica. Um, so he's going to have to learn how to do PD himself um, and that's why he has chosen PD and not HEMA.
1: And, and you mentioned a really great point. And in Toronto, for example, we have a very multicultural population. And a lot of our patients have family back um, um, in very in various countries where only CAPD is supported. So, you know, I, I think we I think we sometimes oversell APD and undersell CAPD. But for those patients, I tell them, you know, if they want to go back to that country to visit family and friends, they will only be able to do CAPD. And one thing that I've realized is that, you know, doing one or two exchanges of CAPD really levels the work, if you think about it, between APD and CAPD. You know, we, we present CAPD as four bags a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime. And of course, when you say APD, you're going to connect it once, disconnect it once, you're going to sleep and the magic's going to happen. Of course, it sounds so much better from a quality of life and lifestyle perspective. But if we prescribe incremental with a with a Uh, if we prescribe CAPD with an incremental approach, I found that it it does level the sort of burden playing field between CAPD and APD. And actually being able to start CAPD, there's no machine, there's no alarms, there's better sleep, there's less anxiety. And guess what? They can do CAPD if they have to down the road, if they're traveling or if they're going to be under a different circumstance. So I think incremental, at least in my program, has really allowed us to do more CAPD. One of the
0: decisions... um... To consider incremental peritoneal dialysis also depends on the caregiver because it may not only the patient who's involved in the PD, but if the caregiver is working uh, and you try incremental prescription, you can have a patient on PD rather than transitioning them to hemodialysis or starting them on hemodialysis. So I think um, that that concept about caregiver uh, burnout, you can help with that as well with incremental PD. Yeah,
1: and then one other question, again, Yongshi knows this is coming (laughs) because uh, this is a little bit of controversy. We're going to spice things up. Um, You know, Edwina, uh, myself, and um, uh, RT Dude, and Bruce, we all wrote an editorial uh, based on these two articles in Ansatae. And it really fundamentally raised a question. And I, and I and speaking to people, there's really these two differing camps. On the one hand, people are, you know, this is wonderful. We want to do anything to reduce burden. Observational studies would suggest there's no harm. It may be benefit, including, including the ones published in this issue. We can go off to the races. We can feel confident to continue to prescribe incremental PD. We don't need any further evidence, evidence generation. On the other side, one may say, you know, the data is observational. A lot of the studies are poor quality, single center, haven't really prospectively designed a study with real, um, you know, thought and consideration to look at these really important critical endpoints. And all of us, I think, would argue that the most important reason to do this is to improve the patient experience of PD. We definitely need more studies in this realm and more, particularly more robust studies. So I'm going to get both of your views on this. Edwina, I'm going to get your view, and, and I'm going to ask Young chi for your position, which I feel may be different, but but we'll see how this uh, how this plays out here. Edwina, what are your thoughts about this sort of controversy? We Do we need more study for it to be standard of care in our PD programs or not?
2: I think if you're actually observing your patients and asking them how they are and looking at their biochemistry, prescribing incremental PD, does not do harm and and if you advise your patients that they're going to have to increase their dialysis as there is so they're educated in advance that they're going to have to increase and mostly once people get symptomatic they want to increase their pd anyway so i i think doing a randomized study would be really difficult just like any other randomized study we try to do in in PD or in dialysis. Because if you told people we think it's equally safe to start on five days a week, two exchanges or even six days a week or, or whatever le- regime you're going to start them on, or you can do the full you know, prescription, who's going to, get to join the study? I mean, it'd be like the PD versus HEMO study that the Dutch tried to do. You wouldn't be able to recruit into it. So I think the data has to be observational. From the observational studies that have come out so far and from people's personal experience, there is no signal of harm.
1: Okay. Um, and Yangshi, let's get your your perspective on this.
3: Before I say anything, I am a very pro-incremental PD physician. Okay, that's my (laughs) disclosure. But that does not change my view that I think that trial is needed just because I not infrequently find myself advocating it against the resistance because there are definitely people out there who feel um, concerned about the safety and they're also concerned about difficulties of trying to convince our patients to increment PD at a time when it's needed because there's no evidence to inform that decision. And because of that challenges that people face, they actually don't wanna do incremental PD from the get start because they worry about ability to escalate dialysis as clinical needs arise. So I do think evidence is really needed to do some shared decision-making. And PD, I think, is a wonderful therapy for people who live particularly in a remote and regional town, not very close to where dialysis units are from hemodialysis. And when you think about the need of incremental monitoring and needing to gauge um, the needs, clinical needs as they they develop, having evidence to inform us, to have that discussion with the patients and rightly timing in terms of reviews and Escalating will help us to improve patient outcome. When you look at the data, it's often the very ones who are living in regional areas who are missing out on incremental PD for the very reason the physicians feel anxious about not able to monitor and support these patients. So if we don't have further evidence to really guide us, it's really hard to implement it abroad across for equitable access to therapy that we believe is good for our patients. In my unit, I fully disclose that not everybody start dialysis incremental because nurses feel very uncomfortable about incremental PD because they have had a lot of friction with the patients, with our patients about needing to increase therapy at a time when it's needed. So although we like to think that patients really want it, there's no doubt patients want it, but is it really appropriate to continue at the rate we're going? I think I say that there is more evidence that's needed to help us guide in that decision-making process, and I think we can't do it with that randomized controlled trial because observational studies have their limitation. Because often, when you look at the observational data, they are retrospective in their nature. The registry data it is it is really you know you cannot minimize the residual confounding with is despite extensive multivariable model adjustment at the end of yeah. the day
1: and and i'm just going to give you an, an, an analogy here and then i'll sort of give you my opinion to level things out here you know balance right balance essentially um, did su- the balance study which was the which the study that we're talking about was based on as a secondary analysis looked at the impact of uh, low gdp neutral ph solutions on preservation of residual kidney function as part of a randomized controlled trial if i if i'm not mistaken there may have been a signal towards a lower risk of peritonitis um, in the low GDP neutral pH group. When when, when the data was looked at in ANS data, um, if I'm not mistaken, there was a higher risk of peritonitis with the low GDP neutral pH solutions. So sometimes it's interesting how observational data and randomized control trial data do give us different perspectives on the same intervention. So it just highlights the limitations and caveats we have to apply with all the observational data. So I think in general, uh, we're supportive of moving forward with randomized control trials in PD. and PD. And you mentioned a really important point. Edwina needs not any convincing, nor I think um, her unit would ever participate in such a randomized control trial. But I, I do think that there, I think the main impetus is because you think people without this data are being deprived of the opportunity of incremental PD. And I think that that's important and it contextualizes that such a study may only be done in certain areas where there is resistance and there is hesitation. Um, so I think it really, again, just like incremental PD definition is, is contextualized by geography, so too is probably the impetus and feasibility of doing a randomized control trial. I can probably say in my program, um, my nurses are quite the opposite. They're all focused on reducing the burden of therapy uh, and improving the transition to PD. So. We very often start with one or two CAPD exchanges um, and definitely with APD uh, advocate for a night off. I will say that a night off often becomes two and a second night off often becomes three. And again, that's the the challenge uh, with expectation setting and making sure that we're balancing safety against patient experience. And and it'll be interesting to get those insights um, in a future randomized control trial. So I have a question
0: for all three of you. We've always been doing incremental peritoneal dialysis in our programs in some way or the other, whether it is a dry day or a day off or whatever. Have you noticed change towards starting people earlier with an earlier GFR um, just to accommodate this? And then the second uh, part of it is, what makes you decide if a patient is on incremental dialysis to advance the dialysis prescription.
1: So let's unpack the first one, Edwina. What do you think has incremental um, has incremental led to a shift in earlier starts on PD?
2: Definitely not. No is, is the answer to that
1: one. And and Yangchi, what do you think?
3: I also believe not. It has not changed my practice in terms of when we start dialysis.
1: Yeah, and also and I'll say also not. I mean, we know from the IDEAL study, which was uh, as well, a study that was done in your part of the world, she led by Carol Pollack, that starting dialysis at a lower level of GFR was associated with similar outcomes to starting dialysis early. And there was no benefit to uh, starting dialysis early. So I don't think incremental is sort of a license to uh, prescribe uh, uh, dialysis earlier. Having said that, in the IDEAL group, in the patients that were randomized to late start, a lot of patients in whom PD was their intended modality ended up starting urgently on hemodialysis. So we definitely need to plan early, no matter what uh, therapy we start, um, and definitely start when it's appropriate, you know, and I don't think that there's a, a role to start early. I think people have interpreted the no benefit to start early to start super late when people are uremic and nauseous and vomiting and significantly hyperkalemic. So I don't start early, but I also don't think in the later start group we should be starting super late, because I also think there's a risk there. But I don't think that that it has necessarily changed um, my my view on on things. Jeff, before you unpack the second question, I'd like to welcome Melissa.
0: Hi, Melissa. I hope everything worked out okay.
4: Hello. Nice to see you all.
0: Nice to see you, Melissa.
4: Sorry, I'm a little late in joining. That's
1: okay. Oh, no worries. So, so Nikhil was just asking a second question uh, and we'll ask, we'll ask Edwina, how do you monitor and how, what are some of the triggers to uh, increase the PD prescription um, when one starts with an incremental approach?
2: Well, it, it, it's first, are they losing residual kidney function and, and looking just at the plasma creatinine, is, is that going up? Um, if the creatinine's going up and they're actually doing their dialysis then that's very suggestive so so that would make me say to the patient um it looks as though you know your your kidney function is, is you know it was going down before you started on dialysis it's, it's going to continue going down so i fire a warning shot um as it were that they uh, were coming to a stage where they may have to increase obviously if they start getting know if they start saying they're more tired or their appetite's down or they're getting fluid overload then 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 that's another trigger um and and often um we will ask them to bring in a clearance test or we'll look at their latest clearance test so it's you know i'm i would never change a prescription just because of the result of a clearance test it's 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 part of the jigsaw. And then sometimes the patients are quite honest and say, I'm beginning to feel like I did before I started on dialysis. Um and and, and often these conversations just happen with the nurses in between clinic. I mean, we see the patients every two months, um, alternating between nurse and, and medical, and sometimes all of this is just sorted out by the nurses, um, in in between medical visits. So so it's a it's a combination of symptoms biochemistry and, and clearance tests and 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 firing warning shots so that patients know that they're going to have to increase their dialysis. And, and then we'll give them a choice. So say, say they're doing two exchanges six days a week. We'll say well, you know, you could go up to two, seven days a week, you can introduce a third exchange maybe you know every other day or, or something like that. Or, you know, so or you can start thinking about APD. And so 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 we discuss with them how they want to increase their, their dialysis.
1: What do you think some of the triggers are uh, that uh, you would employ in addition to what Edwina said? Um, let's just say we were designing a study. What would be some uh, key important points to think about when uh, considering when we need to increase the PD prescription? I share
3: similar triggers with Edwina I don't ever move on biochemistry alone it needs to be a clinically meaningful clinical um changes largely around a fluid also with regards to biochemical changes, particularly things like potassium. As you know, PD is really good at managing potassium. And if it starts rising, you'll be thinking, oh, there might, this must be something else going on unless it's a mango season or something like that in Australia, where patients really go quite hard. Um, so I definitely clinical indicators, if there's been any hospitalization, for example, uh, with fluid gains or any other reasons, uh, that would also be a very important clinical indicator to increase and hopefully we don't reach that point Um, but I think these regular reviews as Edwina has mentioned we also see our patients every two months or so and that's an important opportunity to assess and I do take very particular notice of their weight and their fluid in particular because it's usually a good indicator of how things are going yeah. And before increasing, I also do ask people, because as Jeff, you mentioned earlier, sometimes when it's meant to be missing one day, it can extend into two days. And you do need to have a very frank discussion about, are you doing PD as prescribed? Are you doing incremental PD as we discussed? Or are you doing ultra incremental
1: PD? <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a lot of, there may be a lot of ultra incremental PD. Um And so I think you guys all hit I think really important points measurement of residual kidney function, again, a multi, you know, evaluating symptoms, not just focusing on biochemistry, and also setting expectations that the prescription might have to increase, and also uh, offering different ways to increase prescriptions. Um, one thing, um, Melissa, we, were, we had, uh, Yangji did a great job summarizing the study you were involved in, which was using the ANS data registry to look at incremental PD on outcomes. The, in, one of the interesting findings also, if I'm not mistaken, was a lower risk of peritonitis. Previous study um, in Asia, I believe in China, that looked at three versus four exchanges and also found a nominally lower risk of peritonitis. What do you think's driving that? Do you actually think that um, doing less exchanges might actually lower the risk of touch contamination events. Um, did you see any difference in terms of gram positive, the typical skin bugs we think about in terms of peritonitis, uh, risk uh, being a, a particular group that was associated with a reduced risk? Um, any any thoughts on that finding, which I found really interesting?
4: Yeah, there's a couple of potential reasons why we might see an outcome like that. So as just say, um, less risk of touch contamination just by virtue of doing fewer exchanges um, is, is one possibility. Um, reduced glucose exposure through, again, either fewer exchanges or a lesser volume that they're using overall is another possibility. Um, I think ultimately we don't really know. And even in our study, although we did see the um, reduced risk of peritonitis, when we uh, looked at transplant and death as competing events, we didn't actually see a significant difference there. Um, and through the um, previous studies that have looked at uh, peritonitis in incremental versus standard PD, again, the the, um, the outcomes are, it's, It's overall not really clear, I think, what the effect on peritonitis is. It's made more difficult, again, by the fact that um, the way each study defines their incremental and their standard group um, is different. Um, All these different studies use different definitions, whether it might be the number of exchanges per day, Even in the number of exchanges per day, some studies might use three as being incremental, three exchanges a day is incremental, and others will use three as being standard. Um, Other studies will incorporate days off into their definition um, or or dry days, and others don't. Um, So although there is a a potential um, reduced risk of peritonitis, I think we probably still need a bit more data
3: to, to really know what the effect is there.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a really important, important point.
3: And then I think one thing to note is that to do a trial looking at peritonitis as an outcome of interest, you need thousands of events to be powered to ascertain the difference, okay? Um, so none of these studies are really powered to adequately you know, ask um, this question and answer this question. And these are observational studies and there could be myriad of other factors which could have influenced other than intervention alone at the end of the day. And patients who are allocated or chosen to receive incremental, uh, there are reasons associated with that very proactive choice that's been made in this uncontrolled manner of allocation. So I think we have to always interpret these data with a caution. Have you noticed a center effect
0: at uptake of incremental dialysis and outcomes?
2: Yes, I mean it's going to depend on the enthusiasm of of the people who who run the unit. I mean I'm fortunate. I work with two other nephrologists. Um, I'm not going to say they both do what I tell them to do because um, <laughs> I, I think that <laughs> that they would object to that. I mean we and 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 the nurses. Uh, all sing from the same hymn sheet, as it were we're we're all firm believers in in incremental so virtually all our patients unless they're completely aneuric um and and uremic at the start of of pd will go on on a reduced regime even if it's just for a few weeks um as as a as a step you know starting dialysis so instead of going Wham! In into full dose, um, it's 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 a small climb, um, so it just makes the journey slightly more acceptable. But then you can have another unit, where there, hardly anybody uses it.
1: Yeah, I, I do think Nikhil, undoubtedly, um, there's different perceptions about it, and the prescriber does influence. It's uptake. Melissa, I know, you know, one of the really important parts of your study was you you did show an overall increased uptake um, in in, uh, lower volume PD over time. Did you guys see that that was heavily concentrated in some centers where if you looked at the proportion of new starts in some centers using that was much higher than other centers and any, uh, you know, without naming specific centers, of course, any center characteristics that seem to track with using more?
4: Yeah, we definitely saw um, a, a wide range in the uptake of incremental or low-volume PD. So while we found that, um, you know, the, the median proportion of incident patients starting with an incremental prescription was 3.2%, the interquartile range was from zero to um, 27%.
1: We need to send um, an email send... to the zero unit, by the way.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so th- there are some units that are using it, you know... Uh, almost routinely, I would say, for, for their patients who they feel that it's suitable. And there are some units who are not using incremental prescriptions at all, and patients are all their patients are entering um, PD on a standard prescription. And when, when we looked at the centres, there, there's quite, I mean, there is quite a number of centres that, that aren't using any at all. In terms of what um, characteristics of centres that seem to use it versus those that don't, it would seem that perhaps um, experience with PD might be the, the main factor. So when we looked at um, you know, the, the predictors of incremental PD use, we found that patient uh, centers that used um, less APD and less icodextrin uh, were less likely to use incremental PD. And those that used more low GDP solutions were more likely. So those are perhaps markers perhaps of, um, of centres that use PD more often um, and that maybe have um, more uh, a process in place that, that means that these things are considered for each patient. Um, so that perhaps they go through their checklist or, or that all patients straight away, the thought is, can they do APD? Can they have a low GDP solution? Can they start start an architecture from the get go? Can we start with the incremental prescription?
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And, and and you know, I can just say from my experience, speaking to people and speaking to nurses, in general, I think the people and Edwina, this comes back to right Edwina's initial point, uh, initial point that incremental PD is personalized dialysis. The whole spirit of incremental PD is to reduce burden and improve quality of life. And I think the prescribers who really fundamentally believe in that, vary the PD prescription according to the needs and considerations of the patient. So, you know, rather than one unit, everybody goes home on the same prescription, no matter what, I think giving some thought into the each unique individual needs and quality of life considerations, and it may even just be a marker of units that are varying out the PD prescription, depending upon the unique needs of the patients. And that just happens to be more incremental PD.
2: And I add that it drives our finance people mad because every patient has to be the invoices have to be checked against the prescriptions, so they have to go line by line through 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 the invoices that um, it, it's correct for each patient. But so, aren't you
1: saving them tons of money?
2: Yeah, of course we are. Yes.
1: So they got their work cut out for them then. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And I think that point
4: about incremental PD being personalised prescription is um, really important because while our in our study we could only use the weekly exchange volume to define incremental versus standard, just based on the data that was available. Um, what would be really interesting to know is how different centres are delivering incremental, so um, and and how that uh, suits the patients' needs, their quality of life, their wishes. So. Does having days off improve their quality of life or do they prefer to have a dry day um, every day but be uh, to allow them to, say, be more active but they're happy to do it every day at night? Or do they just want to do fewer exchanges? Um, Do they just want to have less fluid in in general? Um, So these are the things that we we don't really um, know um, but, but would be important because if we're saying that incremental PD has the um possibility of improving patient's quality of life what does each patient want and how can we alter the prescription to suit that
0: that sums up it so adequately because I I just saw a patient who wants to golf every day he doesn't want fluid in his belly at that time and you know what he's 75 plus and he's like no I'm happy with the way things are I'm doing what I want so I'm happy with my prescription don't change it he's very very particular
2: I think we've discussed most things. I think we need to remember that we are not the people on, on dialysis. Oh. Uh, and and however many people we have looked after gives us some ideas, but we're still not having to do it. So we really have to listen to the person, try and make dialysis as acceptable as possible. Um, e- e- even if we feel that the dose at the start is is not appropriate or not large enough start with them a low dose none of us would want to go from normality to having to be on a full-blown dialysis prescription Um, you know on tuesday you have a normal day and wednesday you're doing full dialysis that 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 is would be shattering Um, so so do it stepwise and 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 make use of the residual kidney function
0: I don't think there is a better point to stop. We are grateful for all of you to join today and um, participate in this fantastic discussion. I think this should be uh, a norm. And I think we should just support more centers who are hesitant in in initiating this. We should be available for discussions. uh, And I think we should be able to do that and reach out to more people with our podcast. And that's a wrap, folks. Links to the paper are in the episode details. And please reach out for comments, suggestions, and questions. Our Twitter handles and email addresses are in the episode details as well. Hope you enjoyed this exchange. This is Jeff and Nikhil signing off until the next PD Exchange. Take care.